Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we will be discussing an article titled Pre-COVID-19 Market Conditions Persist and the Stalker Industry Can Dampen the Damage. This article is from the May issue of the Beef Watch Newsletter. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Elliot Dennis, who's the Livestock Marketing Economist with the University of Nebraska. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Dennis. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate being here today. Well, the focus of this article is fundamentally on how the stalker industry can help in part to help us navigate and mitigate some of the market disruptions that we've seen as a result of the COVID-19 virus. Give some perspective on where we're at in terms of what the market conditions were prior to the outbreak of COVID-19, and now as a result of that major market disruption where we sit today, And what are some things that the stalker industry, in terms of its position, as we think about the cattle production chain, can do to help us move through this time? Yeah, I think these are some great points because what I kind of try to go through is that if we were to to have some perspective on where we were at as an industry prior to COVID-19, and prior to COVID-19, in January and even in the middle to late February, a lot of economists and a lot of industry analysts were very bullish on the market. They're thinking that demands, domestic demand was skyrocketing. We just had all of these, these trade deals ratified with China, Japan, USMCF, Mexico. I mean, all of those trade negotiations had just been signed, greatly expanding our ability to export markets. That was on the trade side. One thing that you haven't heard at all was the still the global deficit in protein due to African swine fever. Repopulation efforts in China have still largely been unsuccessful. We haven't heard a lot about that, but that situation is still active right now, and they still are unable to repopulate herds. We are still looking at if there's not enough protein in the world to fill that gap to China. So that's still was present and is still present. We had the January cattle inventory report. The beef herd was slowing down. Expansion was basically capped out. Fewer heifers were being retained. Beef cows had record culling rates in the fall, which is still the case. You know, January 1, producers haven't made any decisions. If anything, people have started to cull a few more animals now. So, you know, supply-wise, we're looking pretty strong. And then the fourth one was we had excellent domestic demand for all protein products and beef in particular was benefiting because beef was being featured on pretty much every week for for retailers and so when we look at all those things we still have the treaties in place those haven't gone away because of COVID-19 we still African swine fever is still happening over in in Asia we still have a, the, the herd hasn't grown magically in the last, you know, five, six months. And the only thing that's really been affected has been domestic protein demand. And really, when we're looking at domestic protein demand, we're talking only about, about 20%, 30% reduction, because that reduction is largely coming in the form of, of reduced food service demand. And so prior to all this, we had a great market. And the only thing that COVID-19 has really affected has been domestic demand for beef products and and for all protein products in particular. And then as we started having packing plant closures, 
we started recognizing that this widening margin, retailers were concerned that maybe some food shortages. They started to pre-buy a lot of product from packers. Boxed beef prices started to skyrocket. Then they were unable to get to have workers come to work because of health scares, lower chain speeds because they have to put in physical distancing measures to, in order to be CDC compliant, can't have as many workers in there. So our utilization of packing plants have gone down. And it's really created a, a glut of supply on, on the production side. Beef is kind of what I, I talk a little bit more in the article about, but beef in particular is better suited to handle uh, surpluses or shortages of, of product because we can, for a large portion of the supply chain, we can slow down animals a lot better than, say, uh, pork or poultry. You know, when birds are hatched, they pretty much have a set slaughter date. Same thing with hogs. Cattle, we, we have a little bit more flexibility, and that largely comes in the form of, of uh, the stalker industry. And we can put animals on grass. We can uh, use different feed resources and really limit how many animals are entering the, the feedlot each, each month. As we think about where we're at right now, and you mentioned this in the article, from a timing perspective, when this occurred, we were moving into the spring. And historically or oftentimes grazed forage is less expensive than harvested feed and so we're seeing cattle coming off of wheat pasture maybe going to grass where maybe they normally would go into a feed yard we're seeing less feeder cattle come to market just because of reduction in price and trying to figure out ways to keep those cattle from moving through the production chain at the rate at which they normally would give us your perspective as we look to the summer as we look at forage conditions, and also as we look at the corn crop and just current cash price and projected future price for corn, how might that all play into the scenario we're looking at right now? My opinion is that corn, you know, when we look at uh, feed resources, the primary reason why animals enter feed yards is because the cost of gain um, for fattening on corn is less than the cost of gain on grass. And so the reason why we can see animals go to grass is because, as, as you were saying, Aaron, that the cost of gain is lower when we have availability of forages through the summer that are naturally produced and that we really can't use for planting uh, otherwise. And so that's why we can put animals on grass and we can, you know, our cost of gains are pretty cheap relative to corn. Uh, it's really an interesting dynamic right now in the, in the feed yards where cost of corn is coming down dramatically. And that largely has to do with lack of ethanol demand. We talk about competing demand for a product. You know, we have pretty much for corn, we got the livestock industry and then we have the ethanol industry. Well, with the quarantine issues that we've been having, demand for gasoline has been going down. Consequently, ethanol plants have been idling because the lack of demand there. And really, as we've looked at corn prices across the board, they've, they've largely come down. Now that varies geographically on, on the cash price, but corn as an input is pretty cheap. And so when we potentially see lack of placements in feedlots, what that's telling me is that they don't believe that this thing is going to be resolved in three, four months. And really, they're looking at this as a problem that, you know, demand isn't going to pick up for four plus months. Because corn is pretty cheap, cost of gain in the feedlots are pretty cheap right now. 
And so we're talking about, you know, cheap available forage, but really the, the forage conditions are, I think is kind of the, the wild card this year. We're talking about specifically here in, in, uh, in Nebraska, everyone knows that weather oscillates and one of the two weather patterns that uh, the livestock industry tends to follow is El Nino and La Nina. El Nino being, you know, very wet conditions and La Nina being very dry conditions. And so kind of going into this year, everyone was kind of predicting, you know, 60, 70% chance for La Nina conditions, which means drier conditions that would then translate to less forage availability potentially in animals coming off of grass earlier. And so really when we're even looking at the drought monitor, we're starting to see some of that drought monitor pick up some stuff in Texas, Kansas, and even the southern part of, of Nebraska. So I think forage is it's important to keep watching what that looks like. If we get in a situation where we have a drought, a lot of those animals that would have been probably, we felt like we could string out a little bit farther, or we're not going to have those options. They're going to be forced to inter, interfeed lots eventually. If we start talking about what do those options look like if forages dry up and maybe cash prices and where we're thinking and looking at being pretty flexible on how long and, and what sources we're going to be feeding, feeding animals moving forward. Anything else you'd like to highlight about what the stalker industry might do in this time frame to help us continue to move through where we're at currently in the cattle markets? Yeah. I mean, I'm a big proponent of, of risk management and I think that's one way to control uh, profitability within within an operation. Another aspect of that is diversity. And diversity could be if you're a cow-calf operator, do you background, do you precondition your animals, do you retain the ownership through, through the feedlot? When I've talked to a few producers, some of their kind of comments to me, these are, these are cow-calf producers, they're considering retaining animals and they've never done that before. And so I think that's great. You know, if they feel like they can manage that additional risk that which they'll be taking on, I think that's, that's fantastic. You can capture some of the profits. I think this COVID-19 has actually given an opportunity to experience and to engage in maybe some diversity within the operation. It doesn't mean that the operation has to do that forever moving forward. But I think when we're talking about maybe capturing additional profits moving forward, that there's some opportunities, particularly on the cow-calf side, to engage further along the supply chain that could potentially in- increase profitability. And that really comes down to what the value of gain, your feed resources you have, and just how comfortable you are doing that. And some producers are and some aren't. But I think if you haven't explored some opportunities to diversify the operation, this season in particular has given a lot of uh, strong incentive, both positive and negative to, to explore some of those options. Anything else you'd like to highlight, Dr. Dennis, as we point towards wrapping this up? You know, I'm always here to help and to kind of talk through issues as I know you are, Aaron, and a lot of the other extension economists and also beef educators. So feel free to reach out, do our best to answer, work through some of the situations with you. Well, thanks again for joining me today. Yep. Thanks for having me, Aaron. For more information on the article that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.ed website. This can be found in the May issue of the Beef Watch newsletter.